they do um, special music and um, thank you for showing up. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm honored that uh, the pastor had, some, had confidence enough in me to do this. Uh, I know it's a big deal and, and I definitely um, take it seriously. And so um, I just wanted to, uh, again, thank you that he had uh, the confidence in me for this. And I wanted to make one quick announcement. Um, it's getting a little beyond socially accessible because we've been able to hide a little bit from COVID. But um, I appreciate that everybody um, that does children's ministry and works in the nursery and all that. I think we definitely missed it and we realized how important it was, but um, we haven't um, announced that we're going to continue to need the nursery. We have another one on the way. Uh, so that will be due in December. So I uh, just want to make that quick announcement. We've been waiting. Uh, we got some scary news at first. The uh, doctor at first said the baby looks okay, but something looks a little funny on the ultrasound. Um, we don't really, he didn't really like the way the placenta and the uterus and everything looked. Um, he said, I think the baby's fine, but I don't know. So he sent us to a specialist, and we had that ultrasound last week. And, um, and praise God, she said everything looks normal in her opinion. Um, it was a little unnerving when she said she went to the office. I couldn't go to this appointment when she found out the news because of COVID. And she said, yeah, there's textbooks everywhere. So I've never seen anything like this before. But he said the ultrasound machines are just getting better and better until we see things we haven't seen before. But praise God, it was nothing. The, the ultrasound doctor said uh, everything looks normal to me. I think he caught a contraction. And it's just, again, the imaging gets so good that people see things they've never seen before. Um, praise God, it seems like everything's normal, but it's in his hands, and um, he knows, you know, he knows the outcome. So. Um, when I practiced, this took about two hours, so you buckle up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But seriously, we're going to be in a lot of scripture today. Um, you know, the pastor, I think, would agree that it doesn't matter what I have to say. It doesn't matter... You know what the pastor necessarily his opinions are what matters is the word of god and so i want to make sure that we spend a lot of time really seeing what does god say about these things um, society today has really attempted to mix the culture and the bible they want to take their cultural lens and they want to look at the bible through their cultural lens instead of what should be done is taking the bible and looking at culture and saying what's right, what's wrong, throw this out, this is acceptable according to God's word. And so that's really opened the church up to a lot of false teaching um, that harms the cause of Christ. James 4, 4 even says that they become the enemies of Christ. These are saved people or people that claim to be Christians and, and James says the Bible is calling them an enemy of the cross. And so, and are an enemy to Christ. And so I think that it's important to kind of point out some of these things because I think it's, it's in the church, but it's also in individual believers' lives. And so the aim of today's message is a challenge. The challenge is, are you living a life that points people to Christ? Are you set apart, living in the world, but not of the world? And do you, does your life, do you partake your life like you're in a royal priesthood or a chosen people like the Bible? The Bible speaks of. So we're going to 
First start off here in 1 Peter um, 2. I'm going to start in verse 9. And again, like I said, it's going to be a lot of scripture. So if it's too distracting, you know, and you can't flip, you know, you can write it down and, and revisit. But um, let's go ahead and read this passage of scripture. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it states, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Peculiar here um, really means a set apart or for God's purpose. It doesn't necessarily, the Greek word doesn't necessarily mean weird or strange like that, um, that we have come to use the word peculiar. So um, just keep that in mind. A, a chosen people, a set-apart people, that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas you speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you again, God, for another day that we can gather together as your people. God, we pray that we pray that this message will be from you, not from me. We pray that um, that you give me clarity of mind and clarity of speech. Give me the words that you want me to say. And I pray, God, that uh, you just give us open and receptive hearts that we can point out and become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to spend a second here kind of going over, breaking this down a little bit. Um, like it says, it says, you're a chosen people. You accepted Christ. You're part of this new established church. And you need to be living that way. You need to be shown forth, as it says in verse 9, the praises of them who have called you out of darkness into marvelous light. You're not in the darkness anymore. You're not in the world anymore. You're set apart. Verse, verse 10 says you didn't have mercy, but now you've obtained that mercy. And verse 11 says... You, you are now strangers and pilgrims. You were a stranger to God, but now you should be a stranger to the world. You need to be focused on heaven as your home now instead of focused on the earth where you currently reside. It says here, and abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. That doesn't only pertain to sexual immorality, although it does include that, but it's all sinful desires of the flesh that was feeding the flesh. He's saying you need, to, you need to abstain from those things because when you're feeding your flesh, you're not focused, you're not acting as a royal priesthood as he's calling you to be. Chapter 12 gets into the word here, conversation, which the Greek word there actually does not necessarily mean your speech, although it can include that, but it actually means your conduct or your way of life. So he says, have your way of life, the way you conduct yourself, honest among the Gentiles. When they see you, keep your conduct, your way of life in a way that they can, they don't have anything that they can point out and say, oh, look at that guy, look what he's doing wrong. He says he's a Christian, but he's, he, you know, it's something that we've had a big problem with, um, with a lot of famous church leaders. I mean, look at that guy, he's, he's involved in infidelity, he's, you know, he's, you know, I mean, is it with you at work? 
that that guy tells the same crude jokes, that guy's using the same language that we're using. He's saying, have your conduct honest among the Gentiles, whereas they speak of you as evildoers. Isn't that the world that we live in today, where the Christians are the evildoers? The Christians are the troublemakers. Um, you know, they're working on passing legislation that is supposed to be protecting um, people's sexual orientation or the way that they decide to be. I was, I don't know if you guys get like the American Family emails, but I got one and sent off a while back to say, I figured it wasn't going to do much with Senator Warner and Senator Payne, but to say to not, not vote for this bill, not attempt to pass this bill, even though they were really people that were writing the bill. Um, and they wrote back, you know, it's all about, hey, we have to like, you know, they're not protected and we have to protect everybody no matter who they love and all that. And so, you know, that sounds great, but what you're really doing here is you're attacking religious organizations and taking away people's religious freedom. But again, it's, that's what he's saying. He's saying, even though the Gentiles are going to speak of you as an evildoer, there's just people causing trouble that are trying to stir up, um, stir up all this trouble in the world. They may by your good works, which they see, glorify God in their day of visitation. He's saying, live in a way that they see your good works, and even though in their mindset the culture is telling them, hey, you know, these are the troublemakers, live in a way that people, when they actually look, they say, hey, this guy's actually a really, they're living in a different way than we do. They're, they actually treat people with love and respect, and they they actually do care about, um, they care about our souls. And whether that means that the day of visitation is when Jesus returns, and they ultimately, like the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, they've got, they have no excuse. They saw how you live, they, they, you know, they heard your witness, or hopefully it's that they are able to be converts as well when the Holy Spirit visits their soul and draws them in and they can say, hey, that guy was a Christian. He's got it together. I want that too. The problem is, is that what the church has decided to do, and I think a lot of Christians have fallen prey to this, and I, I really believe that it's a satanic lie that's been drummed up because it appeals to our reason and our knowledge, is that the church has fallen into this philosophy of pragmatism. And what that is, is it's telling, the church is telling its followers and and other Christians that look, we've got to do what works. We've got to, we've got to reject this unpractical ideology that that the Bible tries to portray. It's you know the Bible is just not very palatable. You know it, it kind of it's speaking out against our culture too hard. And if we don't if we don't jump on this bandwagon, we're going to get left behind. We're going to be we're going to fade away. You know, we, we need to adopt the world's fashion, music, media, their jargon, you know, the way that they talk, the way that they hold themselves, um, just their social way of life. We need, to, we need to get on board with this because how else are we going to reach the world if, if, they, if they're just turned off to everything that we have to say? You know, we need to embrace many of their social ideologies as many as possible. We need to be open to feminism and homosexuality, same-sex marriage, sex outside of marriage, you know, social justice issues, social politics, 
Um, that's, what's, that's what's getting everybody's attention right now. So we need to bring that into the church so that we can bring people into the church. You know, we need to be focused on racial justices, critical race theory. Um, we've got to jump on this advocacy bandwagon. Um, or else we're just, we're going to go extinct. Um, you know, we need to remove the things that are offending people. You know, things in the Bible that are convicting things. We don't need to be preaching so hard on sin and righteousness and judgment, wrath, eternal punishment. You know, there's a um, study that showed that millennials are two to three times more likely than other generations to believe that disagreement equals judgment. That just because I disagree with your ideas, that I'm judging you because you have them. That holding a standard is judging or um, really ostracizing people. You know, the, what the church has decided to do is that they need to build a bridge, you know, with society. And they need to bring as many people that they can out of the world into the church. Again, that's, that's not what the Bible that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that we need to be inclusive of sin and that we just need to be accepting of people's way of life so that we can bring them into the church. The church is always supposed to be for the edification of the saints. And that it, that just doesn't work. Being like the world, it doesn't prove anything. It doesn't, it doesn't make the gospel believable. Right? If we're supposed to be saved out of the darkness into the marvelous light. We can't just be living in the darkness just so that we can reach people. It, it's, again, it's not believable. You know, these church, you go to a church and I had somebody that I was talking about, oh, you know, yeah, it's Sunday. It was great. I mean, there was like this light show, like this concert. You know, we all had our wristbands. It was just it was awesome. You know, it was just great. And it's kind of like, yeah, but did you, did you get anything out of it, or did you just go have a good time? You know, it's, the church has become oftentimes no different than what you could get from a worldly, I mean, you could have gone to a worldly concert on Friday, and would there have been much different between that concert on Friday and the concert, I mean, maybe the lyrics would have been a little different, and maybe they wouldn't have had beer, but would it have been much different? Would it have really proved anything? And I think a lot of these people are getting pulled into the church and they're like, I'm just like all these other people that call themselves Christians. They told me if I prayed this prayer or I just followed Jesus and that I was good to go. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to heaven. I'm just like the other people that, that claim that they're Christians. And there's no real heart change because there doesn't have to be anymore in the church. It's just, hey, you know, just kind of, just follow Jesus. I mean, there's, I'm not going to point out a specific church, but there was a church in the area that, we, that just saw one of their videos that they were posting out there. And that was it. That was, it was like, just follow Jesus and you'll be all right. You're missing a few steps here, right? I think that as a whole, we have, we, we understand the message, right? We understand that it's, that Jesus came, that he died, that you repent of your sin and all of that. But what we messed up is we, we messed up on the method. That we believe this lie that we're not going to be able to reach the world unless we kind of water down the gospel and we, and we make sure that we don't appear that we're like judgmental. Um, and 
it's really, again, it's not that we're necessarily, it's not that we're judgmental, but you do have to proclaim, thus say the word of God. I mean, you have to live a life that's different, that's set apart. The Bible calls for that all through here, and we'll see all that. Um, because, again, the gospel is just not believable. You have to leave the world to reach the world. And that's what Jesus talks about, and that's what we're going to get into even more. I'm going to take you quickly to um, John 8.23. Again, I've cheated. I'll mark some of these. Someone will get there a little quicker. Um, but John 8.23 is where it's um, words of Jesus. And again, I, you know, if we're going to be if we're going to be the best witness possible, we're going to live a life that's really reaching people with the gospel. I mean, the Bible calls us to become more Christ-like, and I think that we would all argue that Jesus would have to be the best the best witness that there was for the gospel. I mean, if, if there was a better methodology than, like, doing what the Bible says and doing what Jesus did, wouldn't he have done it? If there was a better way to reach people, wouldn't Jesus have done it? Now, the argument is, hey, you know, I mean, Jesus ain't with the sinners. He hung out with the publicans, you know, with the, the tax collectors. And, you know, remember even that, that woman that was a prostitute? And, you know, he, you know, he was, he was a man of the people, you know, you don't have the people. Well, again, I think that kicks on the points of where the Bible says that you're, you're in the world, but you're no longer of the world. The reason that Jesus' message was so believable that he was able to establish some level of followers is that it was different. We've heard all these verses before. We know the Old Testament, you know, we're Jews. We know the Old Testament, but, but um, this guy, I mean, he speaks with authority. And we've never really heard it or seen it, but, you know, the message to portray this way. Jesus was in stark contrast to the world. That's what made his life, that's what gave his life such an impact on the world. And so if there was a better way to witness to people than what the Bible says to do it, Jesus was done. 8.23, Jesus is speaking, um, he's speaking for the Father here, but he's speaking, he was um, previously talking, if you... Scroll back to verse 13. He's talking with the Pharisees and he's trying to teach his disciples. And he says, And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, but I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. He's saying, Look, your mentality and your way of thinking is wrong because you're too focused on the earth and the world they say. The Jewish leaders of the day were too focused on having power and and ruling over the people, they were focused on this political unrest where they were being controlled by the Romans. They were looking for the Messiah to come and leave their way of life alone. You know, they still wanted to be Jews and they still wanted their way of life really to be untouched. They just wanted to be free from the Roman, the Roman power that was over the top of them. And he said, look, I'm not of the world. You're of the world. But I'm not of the world. So Jesus is saying... You're looking for the wrong thing. He, a lot of times now we're stuck in the church and we're worried about correcting social injustices. Um, but what Jesus was saying here, and I'll show you another passage here in a minute. Jesus was saying, Jesus didn't come to fix the social and economic injustices that were going on in Jerusalem at the time. Jesus was coming to establish his kingdom even if he had come and he had fixed the social injustices and 
all the issues that were going on in Jerusalem at the time, they'd have found it all up again in a few years anyway. So what Jesus was saying is, I'm here to establish my kingdom, and you need to have a heavenly mindset and stop focusing on the things in the world. It's kind of like when he was looking for his disciples and he, he reached out to the man and the man said, let me, let me bury my mother and my father first before I follow you. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. It's the same kind of mentality here. Let the world fix their social injustices and their issues. They're not going to fix them anyway. They don't have the answer. The only way that you're going to fix any, any injustices and any social issues is that we convert people to Christ. That would fix a lot of the problems that we have today. That would fix your racial injustices because if, if we could get away from evolution, which is to me the most racist thing ever created, we could get to the place of God created man, man's made in his own image, and it doesn't matter what color your skin is. What matters is are you a son of God or are you not? John 18 Verse 36, you only got to flip over a few pages here. This is nearing the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. He's, he's been brought before Pilate. And, you know, Pilate's asking him, he says, Are you the king of the Jews? And, and he says, did you, did you come up with this or did others say this of me? And he's, you know, Pilate tells him, I'm not a Jew. I'm just, you know, I'm just hearing from your religious leaders. And Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Jesus says, If I wanted to fix the social, if I wanted to come and I wanted to be the king of the Jews and I wanted the freedom from this Roman power, and if I could do that, my people would fight and he would have won, right? I mean, he's 100% man, he's 100% God. If he wanted to come and he wanted to free himself from the Jews and not be suffered on the cross, he could have done that. He is God. But he's saying, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm not focused on this world. I'm not focused on the social injustice, the economic injustices. I'm focused on establishing my kingdom, which is in heaven. I believe this is what's going to help kind of flip us over into where Robbie read in Philippians. Here Paul's talking to the church at Philippi. He's writing to them. He's in prison. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm getting to be a little bit tired. You know, he said, it's almost, I, really now I'm ready to go home and, and see and be with Jesus. And he gets to verse 27, and when he says only here, in the beginning of verse 27, he's saying, this is a thing that's leaving me here. This is what's keeping me going. This is what I want to see prior to leaving this world. He said, only that to let your conversation, so again, that conversation there, that's the Greek um, word, pelotune, which um, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but... Um, and that's that good word for conduct or your way of life. He's saying, this is what I want to see. I want to see your conduct be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else I be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, 
striving together for the faith of the gospel. He says, look, if you go through here, you find out that the church of Philippi, it actually calls out two women in the church that were bickering and going back and forth. Aren't you glad you're not the two women that were called out in a, in a biblical book for squabbling and talking issues in the church? Right? But he's saying, you have got to get it together. You've got to pull yourself together. He says, if you're a Christian, then live like one. You know? Make your conduct be as if you come with the gospel of Christ. Your conduct needs to be pointing people to Christ. You need to be pulling together with one accord, with one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That, you know, that striving together gives, uh, um, it gives the mentality of like a sports team. You know, we're all pushing together towards the same goal, to win the same prize. We're all pushing for the championship, right? We're, we're all working together. He's saying the church needs to be doing that. They need to be pulling together, not, not striving against one another. And he's saying, don't, how is that even doable, right? I mean, I feel like that's another problem and issue that's been brought up in the church and, and with among Christians is we decided that, look, you know, this is my opinion and this is what's right and, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to tell that other person on Facebook that they don't know what they're talking about and they, you know, we're on Facebook feed and we're squabbling with each other and, you know, Paul's saying, don't, don't do that. You know, we're going to get into that in a minute, too. You know, he's saying, be of one mind. And the only way that we can be of one mind is that we cut out this viewing the Bible through the lens of culture, and we start looking at what does the Bible say. And if we all had a biblical worldview, there's no reason that we can't be pulling together with one mind, with one accord. The problem is we decided, well, you know, the Bible's an old book or a different type of people and some of it doesn't really mean what it says and you know things are different you know ethics ethics change you know I mean the 50s is a different time than 2020 right I mean these things change well the truth of the Bible doesn't change right that's why we have to be less focused on what's happening here on earth and more focused in having our eyes fixed on heaven and the eternal reward. Paul continues in the verse 28 and he says, And nothing terrified by your adversaries. Don't be scared of the people that are pushing back. Right? I mean, you're going to face some persecution if your conduct is, is heaven. If you have to, you know, I know we discussed earlier how the word, um, have a word um, peculiar doesn't necessarily mean weird. You know what I mean? To set apart. Uh, but you're still going to appear weird to the world if you're if you're not of the world anymore. Right? You're a stranger or a sojourner or a pilgrim. I mean, we, we detect when somebody is a, is a foreigner in our country, right? I mean, they appear different. They have different cultural practices. Oftentimes they have a different language. Um, and so, you know, what he's saying here is don't be scared of those people that are going to push back against you and say, no, 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 we don't want to do that. Um, or even with Paul, I mean, his adversaries tried to kill him a few times, right? They tried to stun him. They thought he was dead once. They were constantly imprisoning him. Don't be terrified of your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition. It says here, 
because they're your adversary, all that means here is that that's a, that's a sign that they're on their way to hell. Perdition is eternal damnation. He says, because they're your adversary, that just, that just means that they're going to hell in their handbasket, for lack of better terminology. I mean, but to you of salvation and that of God. So when you have adversaries that are pushing back against you because you're trying to live a biblical life, that should be a token, an evident token to you that you're on the right path. That's a token that you're, you're headed, you've been saved. And that, that's the gift to you from God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Saying, not only is the Christian life about believing on God, but with the Christian life is going to take some suffering. You know, I, we live in a country that was supposed to be founded on religious freedom, and, and so essentially these were people that were escaping religious freedom that came to establish America. And so initially, did we really face a lot of persecution for our faith? And as an American citizen, not typically, not, not as much as other places in the world, right? I mean, we're not in communist China where we could be killed for our faith, not yet. But a lot of things are changing. And, and so we're going to start facing some persecution. I'm not saying that we're going to start necessarily being imprisoned for it, but they have tried to do that in the past. To pastors, they tried to charge them with hate crimes for preaching against homosexuality. But, but there's a good chance that you are going to face some suffering. Maybe you don't get invited to functions at work because you're a little bit different. You don't drink alcohol. You're going to be kind of a bummer at the party anyway. And, um, and you don't partake in all the, you know, funny jokes that we tell. Something's a little weird about them anyway, so we're not going to invite That could be happening to some people's families. You know, there's been people that I know that say when you stop drinking, you lose all your friends, right? So when you get saved and your life changes, a lot of times you don't have all the friends that you used to have because you're not fun anymore, right? And the reason for that is that you're pointing people, you're right. Your life is a light. And so you're shining on the darkness and it's exposing people for what they are. And they don't like that. You know, that's why this whole country has come up with the idea of evolution. We don't want to be responsible to a creator. We, you know, man is the ultimate being. And so when you live a life that exposes Christ and shows Christ to people's life, it's, it's convicting. Right? So again, do you suffer? Or are you just like the world? Are you too focused and stuck around the world? I'm going to continue with 2 Corinthians 4.16 where um, Paul again highlights he again highlights that suffering is a good thing. He says 2 Corinthians 6 verse um, 2 Corinthians 4 excuse me I'm on the wrong page. I'm sorry. I wasn't on the right page. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16. 
says here, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? He's saying, you, you know this, you're Jews. You don't bring idols into the temple of God. Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where it's supposed to be the presence of God. That's, where they, that's how they knew that God was on their side. They had the temple. They had the Ark of the Covenant in there. That was supposed to represent the presence of God. Uh, when they were in the wilderness, the cloud of smoke would be there, the pillar of fire. And he says, but for ye are the temple of the living God. So he's saying, your body is now the temple of God. Right? I mean, after this is, now Jesus has returned, the Holy Spirit's come, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So we are the house, the temple of God. And as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. He's saying here, you wouldn't bring an idol in the temple, so why do you have idols in your life? If you're the temple of God, why do you have all these things that are pulling you away from God? Verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Come out from the world. Be different from the world. Stop buying into all their ideologies. You know, stop... You know, what's your focus on? Is your focus on worldly entertainment, music, television shows? Are these things drawing you away from the God? I'm going to pick on the women because hopefully it's not the men. Is it your romance novels where you're too busy reading a, a book, but you, the Bible sits on your bed's night table until, you know, Sunday? What are the idols? What are the things that are pulling you away? Um, maybe they're not necessarily bad things. Maybe they're not television shows that are full of unclean things. He's saying here, touch not the unclean thing. But maybe maybe they're just things that are pulling you away from God that are good things. Maybe it's your work, maybe it's your family. You know, maybe it's that car out in the garage. I mean maybe it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just your your hobbies and and just everything about life has pulled you away from God and you're not focused on it. You don't have a heavenly mindset anymore. You're not setting up your treasures in heaven. He says I'll receive you if you separate from the world. You'll be, I want you to be set apart. I want you to be my people. 18, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And remember, you've been adopted out of the world into the family of God. It's like the verses we discussed earlier were saying. You're, you're now a pilgrim. You're now a foreigner to the world. So be different. Come out from these things. Reject, reject these fleshly lusts. Abstain from them. Get them out of your life. Saying you're going to be, you're going to be different. He, he also said, um, look back over here again in Second Corinthians, verse four, or chapter four. This is where Paul's saying, "Hey, that suffering because you're different, because you separated yourself from the world, because you have the adversaries." He's saying, for this cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. He's saying, as you become more Christ-like, as you work on your sanctification, you're killing the fleshly lust, the inward man is dying, you're getting away from these worldly desires, and your, your inner man, your renewed, your new, you know, your... You're preparing for that. 
your soul for the day of just our glorification, right? You've been justified. Now you're working on your sanctification, headed towards that day of glorification. For in our light affliction, which is yet for a moment, working for us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. He's saying, even though you're going to suffer for that here on earth, it's but a light affliction. And Paul can say that, we can say that, right? And he was imprisoned, almost killed, stoned, beat. He's saying, this is a light affliction and it's but for a moment. You being made fun of because you're different or maybe maybe losing your job because you stood up for what was right. That's a light affliction and it's but for a moment because it's building for you a far more exceeding and eternal way of glory. He's saying you're storing up your treasures in heaven. When you when you come before your heavenly father, you can say, I, I tried my best, right? I, I, I did all of these things. I became separate in the world. I was focused on you. I suffered for your name's sake. He's saying that is way more, that's worth it. Don't hide, don't stir away, don't become like the world to avoid, to avoid the ridicule, to avoid the persecution, because the persecution you face here is nothing compared to the weight of glory that you'll receive for it. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He's saying. Don't be focused on the things you can see here and now because they're going to fade away. They're going to be gone one day. Focus on the things that you can't see. Focus on, on your Heavenly Father and, and becoming more Christ-like. See, the strategy here that the Bible is telling us is that we need to separate and abandon the world to make the gospel believable. And even Jesus encouraged us of that in John 15, verse 18. God said, if the world hated you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were not of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hated you. He's saying if the world loves you, then you're it's too much in the world still. You're still in the world. The world loves its own. The world hates you because they hate me. You know, I think that's sometimes telling of, of different... A lot of people, unfortunately, especially a lot of people that don't have a lot of good doctrine or have a side under um, good preaching, just believe, uh, because it says Christian, then it's good. And I think that this is one way that Jesus is pointing out. This is one way that you can really like use the Bible and use Scripture to kind of detect. And that's like a litmus test. Is this, is this lining up with Scripture? Does the world love it? If the world loves it, then it's of the world. Because the world hates it when it's of God. Let's go back to Philippians 2. And that's verse 14 and 15 that Bobby also read for us. So Paul continues, he's saying, be of one accord, be of one mind. You know, look, verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. You know, don't be worried about proving yourself right. Don't be worried about what's best for you. Look out for others in the church. Look out for others. Uh, other Christians and 
and, then, and make sure that you're looking out to see, are you, are you showing the gospel to others? Are you, you know, are you being, are you shining as a light? Because he says here in verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. That could be you yourself, are you murmuring, are you, you know, but also within the church, are you murmuring and disputing with other Christians? You know, this is another call, keep your skirmishes, you know, between other Christians, you know, don't, don't be out there on social media trying to hit other Christians. And, there, you know, there, iron does sharpen iron. And I think that there's a place to, if you notice that somebody's kind of gotten off, you could probably message them or give them a phone call or just talk to them one-on-one and say, hey, have you thought about this passage of Scripture? I think you might be a little off on this. And, you know, like Proverbs says, if they're, you know, if they want to know the truth, you know, they're going to appreciate you for it, and if not, that's up to them, right? But, but that doesn't mean that we get out there and we bicker and we worry about proving ourselves right in front of everybody else. Fifteen, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Isn't that where we are today? In a crooked and a perverse nation. We need to be shining as lights. We need to point them, be that lighthouse. Are you a lighthouse that's Pointing the lost ships that see back to Jesus. Or are you just like the world and they don't see any difference in you? Again, Jesus talked about this in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 13, where he, you know, he discusses that we're salt and light. He says, you are salt of the earth, but if the salt had lost its flavor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. You're supposed to be salt. You're supposed to be adding savor. You're supposed to be preserving what's good. But if you lost your flavor, if you're just like the rest of the world, if you're not being salt anymore, what good are you? You cast out and trodden underfoot. Verse 14, you're light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and give it the light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He's saying when you became saved, you became this salt and this light in this world. You shine light into the darkness. Again, that's going to be revealing. That's going to reveal the sin in people's lives. But he says, you don't light a candle and then hide it. What good was it? What was the point of lighting a candle? Don't be useless. Don't be salt that has no flavor. Don't be a candle that's hid under a bushel. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How can you do that unless you're, if your mind is so corrupted by society and, you, and the culture that you live in that you live and act just like the world? Is your life preserving the gospel? Are you acting as a lighthouse? Titus 2.11 For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Here it's, it's saying it plainly. You're to live godly righteously in this present world. 
You're supposed to be different. People are supposed to notice that you're a Christian. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust. You're supposed to be denying that stuff and getting it out of your life. As I said in James 4, 4, James points out there that these people weren't doing that. The church wasn't doing that. It said, you adulterers and adulteresses, they're, they're focused on idolatry. They've gotten away from, from their one true love, from God. And know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Don't you know that the way that you're living, is, you're, you're at enmity with God? And we know that he's talking about Christians here because when you scroll down, it says in verse 7, Submit yourself therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. So he's saying, this is how you, this is how you get this stuff out of your life. This, you resist the devil. Resist these, um, you know, submit yourself to God and resist the devil and get these things out of your life. It reminds me of Romans 12, 1 and 2. I mean, we've all should be familiar with this passage. Um, you know, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Have you transformed your mind? Are you, are you conformed to the world? Where you can't even detect the lies that culture is giving you anymore. That's just part of part of your lingo, just as much as it is of the world's. You have to give yourself up for divine purpose, and the only way that you're going to renew your mind is to be constantly bathing yourself in the Word of God. It tells you to meditate on it when you rise and when you go to bed, and teaching constantly teaching your children the Word of God, just constantly meditating and focusing on it. What Romans 12, 1 and 2 is telling us to do is live within the framework of what God commands. Live to fulfill the word of God. I've just got a couple more passages here and I'm going to get you out of here. Let's flip over here to Colossians 3, 1 through 5. It says, If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hidden in Christ. You're dead to yourself. You're dead to this flesh. You should be. When you're still having a life that's full of sin, you've reattached yourself to something that you've been freed of. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall he also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil conspicuous. That's, again, that's extreme sexual desire. And covetousness, which is idolatry. He's saying, kill this stuff in your life. Get it out. <coughs> We're supposed to be people of heaven. And we're supposed to conduct ourselves that way. Paul tells us that. If you're going to be a Christian, live like one. Full in one accord. Don't let the world have things that they can pick apart in your life and blame you and, and say, see, those Christians are no different than us. 
There's nothing to this. You have to separate from the world. You have to leave the world to make the gospel believable and to be able to reach people in the world. You can't become more like the world to save the world. It doesn't work. The Bible makes that very clear. Paul continues in Philippians 3, 17. This is our last passage here. Still writing to the church of Philippi, obviously, here, and he says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk also. You have us as an example. He's saying, follow me and follow people like me that are pursuing the gospel, that are out there living godly, righteous lives. He said, for many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping. He's saying, there's many people, that, this is the only, according to the notes in this Bible, it's wrong, it's the notes, well, uh, but this is the only kind that Paul actually speaks of weeping or crying. He says, you know, I told you of these people, and now I have to tell you crying. They're enemies of the cross. Why are the enemies of the cross? These people that used to walk correctly, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. They're, they're headed for destruction. They're too worried about satisfying their lustly flesh than, than pursuing God. Whose glory is their shame. They're worried about bringing glory to themselves, and it's just ultimately shaming them because they mind earthly things. So they've been so focused on the earth earthly things that they become an enemy of the cross. And verses 20 and 21 are a stark contrast to those people. It says, for our conversation, this time it means citizenship. For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. He's saying, our citizenship is in heaven. We should be focused on the Savior. It's not, when you look on heavenly things, it's not some pie-in-the-sky idea of just have a positive attitude and everything will work out. It's being focused on Jesus Christ, what he did, becoming more like him. It's like the pastor constantly says, using the word of God as a mirror that we can look into and pick out these things in our lives because one day this vile body, it'll be like made into a glorious body. When you are saved, that's when you receive eternal life. You already got it if you're saved. What happens when you die is you just get to leave the vile body behind. And you get transformed into a glorious body. God's able to subdue all things to himself. But it doesn't mean that we just don't try because we're too worried we're going to be a pure judgmental people in the world. Not about being judgmental, but our life should be a tool that convicts people. They're judging themselves, and they don't like it, and they want to blame it on you. But that's not the case. We'll let the um, organ and the piano come up and play the invitation and, and get ready to dismiss you. But you can all bow your heads and. Just spend a second thinking. Get your mind set on the heavenly things of earth. Are you too focused? Are you too trapped? And and um, what what needs to come out of your life? 
If your body is a temple of God, what place are there for idols in? When people see a heavenly life, when they see a righteous life, it makes the gospel believe. How much time are you wasting here on earth, focused on earthly things, focused on what pleases your flesh, and you've lost so many witnesses out of it? What occupies your life? Again, it could be, could be really vile, earthly, fleshly lust. It could be television shows, music, things that are obviously vulgar and contrary to God, but it could be things that are just taking your time away from God. Don't be an enemy of the cross. Dear God, we just thank you again for another... We thank you for your word. We in America, we're without excuse. We see creation. We know that there must be a creator. But God, we have your word. We have that specific revelation that's been given to us that tells us that you're real, that you care for us, and that you sent your son to die on the cross to deliver us from our sin, from our fleshly lust. You got to pray that we would cut these things out of our life, that we would die of the flesh, and that we would become more like you every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, you have a good